Welcome back into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for another breakdown, another week of DC Topics, DC Sports. Micah, how you been this last week? Hey, man. Um, been real good, man. Draft stuff is heating up. Uh, some good basketball has been happening. Uh, shout out to the Wizards. We'll talk about them in a second. It, hopefully they don't fall off course, but I've been real good, man. Just happy. Everything's starting to, you know, click and starting to get moving, man. Yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're getting into that stage of uh, NFL season where stuff is really starting to pick up after the Super Bowl. Uh, league year starts March 17th, I, be- I believe. So yeah. um, we're starting to get ready uh, to free agency. And uh, you talked, to, you put it in our group chat earlier today uh, because of the cap situation, a lot of good veteran players are going to get cut. So as those players get cut and we get closer to free agency, we'll definitely talk about um, talk about those situations. But today, of course, we're going to be breaking down the Washington football team secondary, how good they were this year or how not good they were this year, what improvements that they can make, the whole thing. But first, like always, we have to start with the Washington Wizards. It's crazy. Um, some, I feel like every week we've come here, it's been like I've been one way or another where I'm like, oh, this team can make the playoffs. Oh, this team looks bad. The past this past week, um, they were they had another. Well, they started off pretty well in this past week, and it was just like, oh, this team's just not going to stop losing. I'm uh, stop winning. Uh, they beat a team that they were supposed to in the Timberwolves, and we knew that the Timberwolves were struggling and weren't in a space where um, we're in a space where we considered them uh, very seriously. Um, the last time that we recorded, I think we hadn't gotten to the Nuggets game yet. So they yeah when they had just lost to the Clippers so they beat the Nuggets um, again so going two and zero against the Nuggets they beat the Timberwolves so we're like oh this team is just on fire they can't be beat they should have beat the Celtics uh, yeah Bradley Beal literally slipping on Jason Tatum's sweat is the difference between difference between them being uh, they would have had the same loss same amount of losses as the Celtics so I think they may have been uh, up to that ten or eleven seed and. It's it was so disappointing, so deflating, and then right after you lose to the Grizzlies, who blow you out by fourteen points. So this this past week has been weird. They went two and two, and I feel like I'm disappointed because I felt like it could have been a three and a, a three and one, four and a week. But where do you stand on this week, Michael? Man, um, it was a great opportunity for the Wizards to put themselves right in the heat of things in playoff contention with two winnable games that were actually lost in a, in a game, you know, in a game against one of the best teams in the West that, you know, it looked like this, you know, it's really crazy to think about, man. This team, like, they're right there. And it's one of those things where it's disappointing to see them lose close games now because, like, I view this team as they've been playing for the last 10 to 15 games as a team that should be playing playoff basketball. Yep. And it kind of sucks when you see them lose winnable games like this and – it kind of dejects you and it kind of puts you back to that space where we were before. Like, dang, maybe this team is a pretender. Um, the fact that they went two and two any other week in the, you know, any year we would be elated right now, bro. Like literally we would be jumping for joy because of the teams that they beat and stuff. But once again, I view this team as a playoff team and I, I don't, the laws, you know, the games you're supposed to win, you're supposed to go win them. And the games you're, you know, you're not supposed to lose the trap games. You're supposed to act like a real playoff team and handle them. And, uh, they didn't do that, man. It's a little weird. A really backwards week for the Wizards. Um, man, I really don't like it. It's kind of just been like everywhere. It's like the two sides of the coin, like what we could be and what we've been. It's really just interesting to watch, really. Yeah, I, I don't. I really don't know how to feel about this week because 
I mean, in, in my head, they're tech, like they technically had a three and one week. In, like in what in basketball terms of what that game exactly. like, the Celtics was supposed to be. So I'm, I'm not like gonna pull the alarm or anything. But in actual record, you lose to the Celtics, you lose to the Grizzlies, you have a Clippers team that is coming off of two uh, embarrassing losses. So you go into the All Star break with three losses at 13 and 21 potentially. That changes how you feel about the whole first half of the season. It goes from, exactly. okay, we were turning things around to, man, we're back at square one with 13 and 21. Like, it doesn't feel like we've made any headway at all. And in coming out of the All-Star break, the um, the schedule doesn't get any easier, too, because you have – I believe they start with the Clippers. Um, with the Clippers uh, back – let me double check. Yeah, so they start with the Clippers. Yep. Uh, they start with 76ers, Memphis, 76ers, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Those are the four games coming out of um, the All-Star break. So, looking at it like that, Memphis just beat you by essentially 20 points. Uh, they cut it close, like close-ish or whatever, as the game went on. So, uh, you lost by 20 to Memphis. Philadelphia, you played them early in the year, first game of the season, when we thought that this team could be, you know, one of the best teams in, in the East. You lost to them by right. only uh, six points, and then you played them again on January 6th, and he lost to them by five points again. So, who knows? But the way Embiid is playing, it seems like this team's on another level. Then, so you went from Memphis to Philadelphia, and then you have Milwaukee, Milwaukee, who had lost four in a stri- four straight and have now won five straight in a row, where Giannis is looking like old MVP Giannis, and they're getting Drew Holiday back, and now everything's starting to cook with this team. You face th- that team in back-to-back games. And then from there, you go to Sacramento, which, yeah, they're not the best team, but they do score. You have Utah, you have Brooklyn, you have the Knicks twice, who surprisingly are top four seat, top four team in the NBA. You put yourself right. You put yourself in a position that if you don't go on a run here, you're you you can't recover from that. You can't. So like your first couple of games coming out of All Star break are so important that like I feel like these were the games to give yourself the momentum to build up to that place where like okay, we we feel good about ourselves. We feel good about where where this team is going. So. I'm just in a spot where it's weird. It's just like it was another. It felt like another good week. If you don't lose that Celtics game, that's a very fluke. I feel like 99 out of 100 times you win that game, and it was just that one time where Jason Tatum's sweat was on the floor that you end up you end up losing. But I mean, we'll see what happens here. Um, will they be able to turn it around against LA if they beat the Clippers? Yeah, of course you have a positive outlook going into. Um, the All Star break. It's like, well, we've beaten, we've beaten the Lakers, we've beaten Denver twice, we've beaten Boston. Like to start yeah. our our run, we've now beat like we can beat any team in the NBA. We've already beaten Brooklyn twice, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see where where they end up landing uh, as the season goes on. But I do think they're growing and developing each game. I have takes on Russ that uh, I, I mean. <laughs> As much as everybody wants to talk about the tri- triple doubles, doubles and stuff, that game yesterday was just a pure example of how Russ can yep. can hurt the team. Like, yeah, he had almost a triple double in the first half, but he had seven turnovers in the first half. When he pulls up um, with twenty seconds left on the shot clock, it's as good as a turnover because Memphis is going back on trend uh, in transition, and Washington's transition transition defense is just not good. They weren't able to get back. M- Memphis was just out faster than them, out physical them, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. So we'll see. Hopefully Russ gets the memo and stops taking 
what he's currently averaging 18 uh, shots per game. Let's get less to 10 shots per game. I think this team is a totally different team. And, like, just to add on to that, the crazy thing is when Russ has been super efficient this year, this is when we've been our best. When he's not taking no more than 13 shots, and he's making about six or seven of those because it's constant, you know, buckets in the paint, he's getting contact, and he's converting on free throws. This is when Russ has been his best, and this is when, his, you know, he's been his best his whole career. If you look at the stats last night, I mean, yes, Russ did go 8 of 16, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Stats alone has never been the story with Russell Westbrook. It's always been his play. You have to watch and the game. Really, right? You have to watch the games. You have to watch what's really going on. And you really find that the Russell Westbrook experience is a lot of bad just timing and really just like untimely stuff happening on the court when it involves him every single time. He might do three great things and then the worst time possible for him to make a mistake. <laughs> For him to miss a shot, for him to do a stupid turnover, uh, he's going to do Celtics it. Three. Boston, bro, how <laughs> on earth do you miss that joint and you get the dead ball? It's a free timeout. It, it's literally a free timeout, and now the Celtics are in a position to be where they were, and it's exactly how they won that game. So it, with Russ, it's just like all the good that you can do, and for some reason this team – it's still like it still really feels like a live and die by Russ type of thing because literally he will lose the game if he tries to do too much. But you need him to be like a, a truly consistent guy. So it's a really weird thing. Like we need what he can bring, but at the same time we don't. Yeah. And it's gotten us to the point where we're literally sitting right here where we are, where we go two and two in a week. That should have been for all intents and purposes three and one because John Moran did do that to us last night. But still. We're, it's at a point where we're like, okay, this is the Russell Westbrook experience. I've seen enough of it. I'm not going to say anything, you know, crazy like trade him or anything like that. I think he's earned his right to, you know, stay on the team for the rest of the damn year. But still, trade him, so. this is what you're getting out of Russ. You're not getting any more out of Russ. So what do you do from here? That's kind of a question going forward. But we know what we're getting out of him. And that's just, yeah, I have to I have to just talk about it, bro. We have to talk about it now. It's just it's just there. And it's too, it's too noticeable not to say anything. Yeah, I, I feel you. I, I, I truly, I just don't know. Uh, is this team going to be able to hit its top potential with Russ on the team? I doubt it. I mean, uh, Denny Abdia's coach came out this week and saying the Wizards are handling terribly. Like, they're not playing him where he needs to be. But Denny can't – he can't be a point forward if you have Russ on the team. It's impossible that if Russ is playing on the court at the same time as him – Russ is going to be the point guard. He's going to be the one dictating the offense. And if Denny thrives best as a point forward type of player, you're not going to be able to see that. Rui at Gonzaga, he handled the ball a decent amount uh, down there, but he's turned into essentially a a spot-up shooter. And he's not a good three-point shooter. He's shooting 20-something percent in his last 10 games. Like, a lot of these guys that have more abilities than just shooting, have become spot up shooters, and and that's what, mm-hmm. and that's been the mo with Russ all the time. The only time that uh, he uh, he didn't turn a player into a spot up shooter was Kevin Durant, literally one of the greatest players of all time. And to his credit, he lets Beal Beal is still the one guy. He still lets Beal work when he's on the floor. But with everybody else that's not on the same level as him, you just become a spot up guy. I remember Sabonis, who is an all star now. Sabonis was just he was just there in OKC. Oladipo yeah. was just there in OKC. Like, even James Harden, and maybe you could say, yeah, KD and Russ kind of limits James Harden, but James Harden was just a slasher. Like, we see James Harden now with uh, Kyrie and KD, and he's able to operate a lot more as a point guard, and it works out better. Who knows what would have happened if 
he got more of a, an ability with OKC to be a point guard and facil- facilitate more. But you don't get those type of opportunities when you have us on the team. And hey, I, I don't I don't want to keep bashing him because ever since he's come back and he's been healthy or so they say, they have been winning. So I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna overreact over a two game losing streak when we lost our first five games of the season. But I do think for this team to take the next step, Russ needs to have that intensity, but just just take less shots. Just take less shots. Uh, but moving on from the Wizards, uh, it's going to be an interesting week. They only have two games this week, and then uh, they only have one game. Excuse me. Um, by the time we record this time, uh, by the time we record next week, it would only be the Clippers game because they have the All Star game, uh, All Star break, and yeah, uh, Bill in the All Star game. And congrats to Rui and Denny for making the world team for yeah. the Rising Stars. Always nice to see. We'll be moving on to Washington football secondary. So this this was the toughest because before this, obviously, I've thought of every grade that I'm giving to each and every position group. This by far was the toughest group to grade. I'll tell you why. To start the season, it was really rough for um, for the Washington football team just all around. They didn't have the best performances. The secondary, they just weren't communicating great. Um you had situations where receivers were just making making them just look oh yeah like it was bad <laughs> receivers are making them look so stupid um Landon Collins wasn't wasn't playing up to his standards the safety position was struggling with Troy Apke he he was taking the worst angles and it was just it was a mess but unfortunately the Collins best game against the Cowboys he tear, uh, tears his Achilles and yep. that leads to a great opportunity for Cam Curl. They said, okay, we've seen this Troy Atke experience be um, be a complete failure. We're benching him. We're going to put in decision Everett. And after Everett got hurt, we put in Reeves, who I think he was okay, nothing, nothing great or anything. So I was put in a position where I was like, I know that the second half of the season was a better representation of the secondary and Kedno Fuller was hurt the first what was it two or three weeks of the season where he didn't play, yeah. and him coming did change everything. But I just can't forget that beginning part of the season. So I decided to give them a, just a solid C minus C. Like I, I'm just in that range where they didn't do anything special. They weren't like lockdown per se, but they did have their games where they were really good. Um, I mean the. Um, Fabian Monroe interception against the Eagles was the turning point of that game right before halftime. Um, the Giants game that they almost won, Kendall Fuller, uh, the first one, Kendall Fuller had the pick in the end zone that essentially changed the complexion of the game because if they scored there, there was definitely no way you were going to win that game. So they had their moments, but then you you look at the Cowboys game um, in Dallas Thanksgiving, Ronald Darby was getting burnt. Roasted by Amari Cooper, like he was, he was in his, like he was just right, like running right behind him, like they were in a track meet. Like it, he wasn't defending him; he was running after him. So I, I landed at a C, C minus area. What about you, Micah? Yeah, um, I actually had them at a flat C, and um, I can kind of talk about my reasoning for it, and very much so. Everything you said was a complete fact, and this secondary was kind of up and down, but um. I gave them the C because of I really do feel like regardless of their play at times, how bad it was, and, uh, you know, they did rise to the occasion at times. 
I think they have the foundation to be one of the better secondaries in the league, but they really do have to plug in holes where need be, and they really, really need maybe two more starting caliber corners before we even start talking about, you know, these guys being an elite unit. Um, So we all know that the safety um, position was a a big need. Um, Even when Landon Collins was healthy, we still had no free safety. Our free safety is going into the year where – guys who will probably not be back next year. So that's just the reality of the situation coming in. And we cut Sean Davis for – We cut Sean Davis, who was supposed to be our guy to plug in. And Sean Davis is a a quality-level starter, a top – he's one of the top 32 free safeties. And I don't understand why he got cut. But he did get cut. Um, And that's the reality of they maybe they thought a guy like Troy Apke, who got the start at the beginning of the year, maybe they thought he would be able to step Mm -hmm. up. Troy Ackby, you know, uh, he had a great first game, and it was kind of nice to see him out there just making plays because it wasn't the Eagles. But as soon as the Cardinals game and going forward, as soon as they went against a competent offense, (laughs) for and for a guy who is a four three, a true four three guy, um, he was. If you guys remember, like he's one of the guys that um Deion Sanders pointed out. I was like, oh, who is that? Because there's a fast white guy out there. Like literally, he's one of those type of safeties where he should have impeccable range. He doesn't. He eyes stay glued to the quarterback. He has terrible, like, coverage skills, and he cannot just read. He doesn't have good ball skills either. He's, he's not working for us. I can say that. But <clears throat> that's been a need for us. So free safety has always been a need. When Landon got hurt, I really do think coverage-wise we did kind of get better. Yes, we had weeks where we got absolutely toasted by really great receivers and really great offenses. But the insertion of Cam Curl, he, for what he for what we need, on this defense, he's way better than Landon Collins. And I'm interested to see what they do going forward. Will they put him at free? Will they let him? Because I feel like he's earned the starting safety position, you know, a strong safety. Because, really, he works best in the box and things like that. Um, when he's around the ball, he's really a, a ball-hawking kind of guy, and it's great to see. Um, I'm interested in what they do with Landon. But, well, I feel like this team really needs to, to hunger down and see what they have as far as talent-wise as cornerback. We do have Kendall Fuller. Um to me, Kendall Fuller isn't necessarily a um He's a two. He's not a, a he's a, he's a number two. He's one of the best. He's probably the best number two in the league. I don't think he's a top ten corner, but he's definitely a, in that top fifteen range. Um he would probably be at fifteen if I was to, you know, do a whole cornerback rankings. He's a very great solid corner, and in my opinion, he is if not still one of the best nickel corners in football, he like he can absolutely play that role. We even seen him at safety at times at free safety. He can I feel like he's best suited when he's covering, um, you know, tight end slots and things like that. Just his skill set and things like that. He's really, really good at what he does in the slot. On the, as an outside corner, we saw a lot of interesting things from him. Like he was getting burned a lot of times, bad eyes. It that line, that Lions game he also made a lot really of good plays. Yeah, that was that was inexcusable because, I mean, who the Lions were putting out there? Yes, I mean, Kenny Dalla is a great receiver, and there's other great receivers on the Lions roster last year, but still, this is a, a team that shouldn't have been passing the ball like they did uh, against a guy like Kendall Fuller, and it very much happened. Eyes were open. Um, and I do think eventually down the road there has to be a play at a number one corner. And I don't know if this year is the thing. Now, in the draft, there's a couple interesting options. Um, if guys fall, that I could possibly see this team doing because – you have to be able to guard the X and Z receivers and the slots. I think we have a guy perfect for the slots, and I think Ronald Darby. I, I, okay, so if we bring it Robert, Ronald Darby back, I think he is good enough to cover um, number twos consistently, number twos and number threes. Um, he can do a decent job at that. But I really want to see them, you know, 
get in, you know, another two corners, whether it's free agent, see whether it's the draft. I want to see them, you know, make a play at a guy who's really going to help this team because as much as the safety situation hurt us, I really do think that at times our cornerback play was lacking and that really hurt us more than it helped us because safety play, yes, you're going to be in the box. You're going to be, um, you know, kind of being that center fielder in the middle of the field, but well, cornerback plays every single down. And I feel like at times where key plays needed to be made, the corners weren't around. So um, I will give him a C, and it's just because really Camp Crow kind of boosted that. And at times when um, when Kendall Fuller showed up, he was a, a really good player for us. But the negatives are so bad. I mean, dog, like a C minus makes sense. If Camp Crow didn't get the, you know, had the breakout year that he did, I would even put them at like a, a yeah. D plus. Like it, it would just – they 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 didn't show enough for the best pass defense thing. The best pass defense happened because we have the best fronts, you know, <laughs> we have the best pass rushers in front, you know, five or six players in the National Football League. But the corners, man, and just the DB room in general, they get a C plus, and I think I'm being generous, or a C, and I think I'm being generous. yeah. And that's that was a struggle of just first half, second half, going Everett uh, Curl versus Collins and Apke, and I I think Apke was just. He was such a big reason for why things didn't work out that, like, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can truly grade him. But even after, I was just, I was still looking. I was like, I mean, they weren't, they weren't great by any means. They were, they were average secondary. That with, uh, the, right. with our front four being so good that they were able to bolster both the linebacking core and the secondary, save them a bunch of times just because you're not able to get the ball where you want to because Chase Young or Montez Sweat is in your grill. So <clears throat> I want to move on from there to what they can do to help um, their secondary. Um, I started this – I woke up this morning and I saw that uh, they put out odds for where Richard Sherman was going to play uh, next in the National Football League. And watching a football team was actually uh, – betting-wise was actually the number one team that they had um, – that they had them going to over – going back to the 49ers over all the different teams out there that had them as, <clears throat> as the number one. Yes, Richard Sherman is – uh, older and not as the lockdown corner as he's been. But I do think there's an opportunity for him in this team where you said, like you said, with Fuller going back to his original position, I would I would feel fine with Sherman being um, on the outside. You have a safety in Trey Boston that got released that was in Carolina with, um, with Ron. Yeah. And if you want that guy, that free guy, that guy that can truly be um, – back there for you and just roaming and play and just being um, that free for you, you have an opportunity like that. So what do you think that they should, um, that they should do Washington when it comes to free agency uh, period? Do you want them to go for like a top guy, like uh, William Jackson or go for Shaq Griffin or Mike Hilton? Like, do you want them to go for one of those guys or do you want them to, even though Richard Sherman is still a really good corner, he's he's so much older and you're not going to get that many years out of him? Or do you want, do you want them to go like that secondary um, level where you're going like a Richard Sherman, a Jordan Lewis, uh, A.J. Boye, or uh, bring, obviously bringing back Ronald Darby, Ari Burns? So where exactly do they stack up in that cornerback safety market? So ideally, what I think realistically is going to happen is they're going to go after the mid-level guys. I don't see them overpaying for anybody in the secondary. And I maybe just because the talent pool as well, there's not um, any, you know, guys really under 26 years old. Um, think of a guy like Jalen Ramsey or, um, or Jair Alexander. None of those guys that fit the market. 
And those are the only guys that would get top dollar, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, and, and talking top dollar over a long period of time, you will pay Richard Sherman his market value because Richard Sherman has earned that contract. And the same with a guy like A.J. Bouye. But the, nobody is calling, you know, nobody's breaking the phones for these guys anymore. They're, hit, they're 30 plus. Um, they're still great scheme corners that, you know, still have some left in the take. I'm still surprised how well Richard Sherman does move at times um, in the right scheme and things like that. Um, personally, I would like them to, you know, take a look at a guy like A.J. Bouye, who, um, you know, with the Broncos, he uh, he played okay. But I, I do think with a better defense around him, an uninjured defense, I should say, then I, I really still think he could, uh, you know, do damage. And I think Ronald Darby, um, I think re-signing him is a must. Um, he's only 27 years old, man. He He's a great number two, number three, but we're finding out in the NFL right now you need four or five starting corners. The Ravens have been a great model of what it looks like to have actual corner depth where literally guys like Jimmy Smith, who for years he was a great, great corner, and he still has some in the tank. He's literally like a fifth on the depth chart because they have Taven Young. They have, you know, guys above him, Even not even talking about guys like Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters who are just better than him. You got, you have to have corner depth, a true corner depth. So guys like Troy Hill, guys like Ronald Darby, um, maybe a Mike Hilton if they want to pay a little bit more money for a younger guy with the idea of it, of course. Um you know, a guy like A.J. Bouye, all these guys are preferably who I think they'll go after our corner. And I wouldn't be surprised that they want to take a look at a younger guy, a guy like Gary on Collins, who is 26 years old. Maybe in a new scheme, um, you know, he might play better or things like that. These are all um, guys I can see them going after at the corner position. Now, at the safety position, honestly, I'm not going to lie, I would love for them to spend top dollar and go get a guy like Marcus Williams for, um, from the Saints. That is, you know, after that, you know, situation – with the Minneapolis miracle where he just whiffed on digs. He's been one of the top 10 free safeties in the national football league. He shored up his game enough to where he is one of those guys. Um, a guy like Justin Simmons, he's going to command a crazy market value. Maybe in, in a non cap hurt year, you absolutely throw money at him. Um, and even a guy like Trey Boston, who he hasn't hit 30 yet. He still has some left in the tank and he's used to playing um, with Ron Rivera and being around him and in this culture. Um, all these guys will put us in a great position to succeed. And I think all of them are, you know, realistic and viable options. Um, I mean, it's crazy. Know, I mean, I guys like Trey Sean Boston. Davis are on the market still. I, I, like, I, yeah, I, honestly, I think Trey Boston would be the most cap exactly. and the you, best You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I, I was going to say the, with the cap situation and with the fit, which is being with Ron Rivera, I don't know if you I don't know if you saw the clip of him talking to Chase Young after they played the Panthers. Um, and it's just yep. like, that's a that's a type of leader you want. The cap, he won't be too crazy on the cap. Um, he he will be able to just fill into that role. Like anything is better than Troy Apke. So anybody that anybody that you get Literally. will be um a step above. So personally, for me, like I'm not really looking at anything if in free agency aspect. That draft is a different conversation. But in free agency, for mm-hmm. the position that it is, and for um, the cap situation, I think Trey Boston would just be perfect for me. Yeah, absolutely, and I do. I totally agree with you, and not just that. I mean, this is a guy who played the majority of the snaps last year. It's not like he wasn't a starting caliber player. It's just, as, you know, just an unrestricted free agent. Guys like this, uh, they make their contracts, uh, you know, around 27 to 29 years old. They get another payday, and Everybody Trey Boston's cut, up for one, and know? I think he's a solid NFL player. Everybody's getting cut, so – I mean, realistically, he will sign a contract for multiple years that gives him a decent amount of money because 
with the car with the, with the cap situation right now and the market value guys are going to get everything's changing you don't want to be one of those guys left out on the money and you know playing mm-hmm. football next year so uh i think it's a smart move and i think it's going to happen yeah. I, I i totally agree with you there and then moving on to the draft side of things um there i was talking to michael before we started recording there was uh, the Washington football team uh, aggregates all the mock drafts. So it's nice and easy to see uh, which each expert is uh, picking. And obviously we've seen, everybody knows the names, Kadarius, Tony, Christian, uh, Derisaw. You have uh, Mac Jones for a while there until obviously things change with him rising up the boards. You have uh, Jock from Notre Dame. But there was a name that I hadn't seen before in the most recent uh, aggregation. And I was very surprised by it because I, I thought that this player would be gone way before um, 19. And that was Patrick Sertain from Alabama. And I, I was surprised, but Cynthia Freeland of NFL.com said that her model uh, likes Sertain in the NFC East. And uh, the Cowboys will pose the biggest threat to Washington, but Cowboys end up going another a corner, which leaves Sertain falling to Washington. Sertain in uh, the last two seasons hasn't allowed more than 65 yards in a single game. So no, nobody's burning him. Nobody's torching him. He's been he's been essentially pretty locked down for Alabama. And cornerbacks in the SEC are very different to me because when you have to go up against the LSUs, the Floridas, the Georgias, it, it doesn't really like even team players like on Tennessee. Yeah, in his case, in even, practice, yeah, exactly. In, in, with those t- uh, top guys in practice, so that would be ideal for me. Like if he was available at nineteen, it would be a no brainer on where we go. Obviously, a lot of mock drafts have him going above nineteen, probably in the top that twelve to fifteen range. I've seen a lot, but if he does fall to nineteen, that would be nice. But besides that, obviously that dream scenario of getting him to drop a 19. What do you like in uh, that uh, drafting process of cornerbacks and safeties? So there's actually a couple guys that um that I've kind of like really, really started to like over the process. Um, One of them is J.C. Horn and uh, J.C. Horn's name. I mean, he was one of the most eye-popping players last year in college football. He did a lot of great things um, in the affirmation uh, SEC where you – when corners show up in the SEC, you take notice, and he absolutely did what he had to do. Um, man, uh, automatically, I think against like Auburn, when he shut down Seth Williams, who at the time was a really, really high, t- highly touted receiver, and then the, you know the, the whole nation, he made him look like his son out there, and that's when it really started to click for me. Okay, I really think J.C. Horn could be the guy for us now. In that mock you mentioned. Um, I would assume that either the Cowboys probably took uh, either Caleb Farley or J.C. Horn. That's, like, no-brainers for them. Like, I don't think they miss on either of them. But I also think that all these guys would pro- – I would have guessed that, um, you know, I would guess that Sertain and Caleb Farley probably mm-hmm. get taken before 19. And that leaves J.C. Horn right for us. And I think very much so that the Washington football team is considering driving him at 19. And it's not a pick wasted. Yeah, but l- l- let, me, mean, let, me, let me interrupt there. Six, there yeah, in that same mock draft aggregation. Yeah, go ahead. They did. There was an expert, uh, Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus, did have Washington taking J.C. Horn, and their analysis was that Horn's combination of athleticism and physicality is rare for a cornerback yeah. uh, for the cornerback position. He allowed just eight catches from 24 targets for 116 yards in the seven games he played in 2020. So, 
again, another guy that, I mean, 116 yards in seven yep. games. There were some games where that Cowboys game where Darby probably gave up 100 himself off just off of Amari Cooper. <laughs> the first half. In the, fir- in the first half. And that's literally my point as to why I feel like J.C. Horn would be a perfect fit for us because he would take away the responsibility of a guy like Ronald Darby who realistically is only like 5'10", 190. That would take off the load of him trying to cover superior route running guys and guys who are physically just, you know, better than him. J.C. Horn is, is – I, I would assume his playing weight is probably around 6'1", 200 to 205. As a corner, that's ideal. He's not a slow player. He's a very quick twitch kind of guy. He can play the man and play some zone, which is really important. You, you find a lot of guys who they can do either one or the other because in college, you know, everything's a little bit more simplified. Um, you got really great man corners and really great zone corners. He can do a little bit of both, and that's what makes him a very interesting prospect um, up until us because this is a guy who I feel like he's mm-hmm. going to instantly translate. And what better way to translate as, once again, we mentioned these corners are going to have great help from our rushers, our pass rushers, and one of the best D-lines. I think if you just want to double down on the idea that you want physical guys who have great technique and are going to try to win at all costs on your team, then J.C. Horn has to be your guy. He plays with an edge. He played in the SEC against the best talent. He produced against the best talent. Under 10 catches for an entire season is insane. Um, and, you know, you can just go on with the list, but I think J.C. Horn, ideally, at 19, is a real, is a real, uh, is a real possibility mm-hmm. that that happens. Now, besides, you know, the love affair we all have with J.C. Horn and things like that, there's some guys later in the, uh, in the process that I could see them possibly taking. I don't know if they're first-round guys, and if all three of those corners are taken, they're not yeah. taking a corner at 19. Um, yeah, so we can just, you know, put that out there. Um, so guys like – it's crazy to me I'm even saying this now, but Aaron Robinson from Central Florida is, is one of the guys that I've really started to like. And I don't like – I don't like – I would consider UCF a, a – well, I would, I would think they're power five now. We had the discussion about the American and what they what they are, you know, for years now. But There's actually another guy, guy from UCF that I'm going to talk about. A lot of great uh, talent. Talk about real soon. Yep. Yep, yep. And, like, you know, these guys have turned – a lot of them have turned out to be really quality pros. And he had a good week of practice at the senior bowl, man. He was good. He was really solid corner. And I feel like if you want a guy, honestly, on the level of Ronald Darby right now, just to throw out there, you can have another Ronald Darby. It's Aaron Robinson. He's about the same size at, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 190, probably around the same speed. And, I mean, yes, Ronald Darby is not a great cover guy for the two, but, I mean, having having a guy like Ronald Darby is still mm-hmm. invaluable to the team because he can cover and he can yep. play good football at times. You're not going to get a world beater with a guy like Aaron Robinson as a flyer in the second round or trading down for whatever reason, whatever you have to do to get him, you know what I'm saying? But I also think that's a, a good corner to get. So some of my more, I would consider unrealistic or interesting things would be a, maybe like a, a day two pick on a guy, um, Paulson Adebo from um, Stanford. He didn't play in 2020, which hurt. It's going to hurt his draft stock. But before, honestly, he was – I would consider him not maybe a top five corner, but one of the better corners in college football. Um, and I just want to kind of see it mature and play out. Now, there's going to be interesting things happening with guys who didn't play. Um, but I think his skill set and his size, you know, size, uh, size, speed, talent kind of thing, I think when guys go through the process and he's one of those guys, they're going to find out that, oh, he still has – something you know he's still that guy even though he didn't play 
Um, you're getting a guy with a similar frame to J.C. Horn, uh, maybe not as heavy, but, you know, as a size and length kind of guy, he has it. Probably a similar speed, but he just didn't play football last year. And I think if you in, – in a day two pick, if you just want a guy with – who could possibly surprise the whole league like Cam Curl did, then Paulson Adebo is your guy. Um, another guy I kind of want to mention who is kind of the Ronald Darby type, but it would be more so like a day two, possibly a day three guy, is Elijah Molden from Washington. Uh, another solid corner, um, you know, He's from that line of uh, DBs from Washington, the University of Washington. That's kind of been really solid guys in the league. And I think he kind of just fits that. You're not getting, once again, you're not getting a, a guy who's going to be a world beater or a guy who's going to be your number one locked out corner. But you can end up in a situation where he plays a really good role down the line. Um, if the guy, if, you know, if the team does go for a superstar corner, he can easily be a Darius Williams to Jalen Ramsey if you allow him to and let him grow. Darius Williams is not a rookie. He's been in the league for a couple of years, but when the guy plays his role so perfectly, you know, being a number two corner uh, on the other side of a superstar, hey, I mean, you know, it just hits. Uh, Elijah Moulton has good ball skills. Um, I would consider him, like, if you had to play him day one, he would be in the slot. But I think he would be able to do that job well. He's not a, a weak guy. Um, like I said, similar size um, to Ronald Darby, maybe a little bit faster. But I think you're getting a solid corner in him on a, as a day three guy. So those are some of the guys I really liked in the process, some of the guys I just kind of wanted to mention, man. But I think they will all be good options. But obviously, man, if we can find our way – we can find a way to get Patrick Satan and J.C. Horn, then I'm more than happy. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I totally agree with you there. I want to move to safety real quick because there was a safety because I, I was forgetting – I remember looking at some um, corners and safeties a while back when we were talking about, our, I think, our first episode with the draft. But I hadn't looked any this past week, and I just mm-hmm. remembered there was one guy that I wanted to bring up the first time that I totally forgot to. So I did want to bring up from UCF was Richie Grant, the safety from UCF, and he mm-hmm. was yeah. a heavy hitter. Um, he was very good, very good in space. He was his ability to uh, to track the ball. He was good blitzing, and he had a really really good um, senior ball. Um, I I want to see if I could find any of the quotes that they had from his senior bowl, but they said that in his, uh, that he excelled and he was able to show, he was able to show um, both speed and how good he was. And that is a guy, what, 66 foot, yeah. 194, that eventually you could see uh, potentially uh, fitting into the system or this scheme where, again, almost anything is better than Troy Ashkey. <laughs> and just having his, having the ability for him to be at free with his physicality, but also his speed and being able to play back there. If you don't get a Trey Boston type, I would be totally fine with getting uh, from UCF Richie Grant. So when you brought up when you brought up the quarter from UCF, I was like, I forgot I wanted to bring up Richie and watching yep. his uh, film and then also watching his highlights. He was a pretty good player for them last year. No, and what's crazy is I figured you were going to talk about Richie Grant because when I was watching, you know, some Aaron Robson highlights and, and trying, you know, trying to scour the internet for some, you know, actual game clips and stuff like that, Richie Grant popped. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. So UCF, it's not just like a fluke thing going on where this one guy he just, you know, beat up the whole, you know, mid-tier, non, you know, mid-major conference. Like, no, UCF is actually putting out a decent defense last year. They're doing a lot of good things. They're playing a lot of good zone coverage. They're making a lot of tackles. And I think some of the similarities, I think some of that culture thing um, that UCF was going for, I think both these guys represent that very well. Um, not necessarily super, you know, athletic, freaky dudes, but guys that are going to make quality football plays. And when it comes down to it, they're going to be tough. 
two guys will fit perfectly yeah, in this game. Yeah, right? and, and I, I totally agree with you there. I think with with this, it all comes down to making sure that they fit your scheme. Because we've seen with Washington where yep. they overpay for Josh Norman, and Josh Norman just didn't fit their scheme. He, he wasn't he wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't what they, they, they needed at that time. So, obviously, it's a different regime now, and I trust Ron that he knows what he wants from his defense. He's built. He's built his defense like we went from a bottom half, probably bottom five defense last year to a top five defense in one year. And yep. that's without the overhaul at linebacker or or, state, or any uh, secondary position. So I, I think that I think that he'll be able to find the guys that he, he truly believes fits in a system and allow them to and allow them to um, be able to excel and put them in the best position. So if that is a Trey Boston, or if that is going through uh, the draft, then uh, then so be it. Um, I quickly do want to also touch on because we did we we did touch on uh, safeties a lot, and I think in our first episode, so definitely go and check that out because we we did a deep dive on I think it was four or five safeties with uh, Paris yep. Ford, Cisco, all those guys. Um, mm-hmm. With the secondary, there are a couple of decisions besides um, Darby that need to be made. Jimmy Moreland, is he a guy that you still want to see on the field coming next year? Do you think that he's grown enough in each and every season that you're like, okay, I feel comfortable with him coming back for a third season as a starter, or are you ready to move on? Man, it kind of sucks to say, but um, I think we've seen everything we Mm -hmm. need to see from Jimmy Moreland. And I think he's projected out to what his draft, kind of stock was when you give guys like Jimmy Moreland late round late you know back into the draft guys when you put them out there you're not expecting too much and I think we literally saw a guy in the preseason who was hungry enough to make plays to make the roster but I don't Mm -hmm. think he's ever going to be a starter and that's okay if Jimmy Moreland is okay with not being a starter then yes be our fifth corner it's a perfect fifth corner dog like that that's a guy who's been here a guy who's tough a guy who's getting out the mud and a guy who's going to represent everything you want out of the football team. Now, Jimmy Moreland thinks because he got some starter snaps and because he, you know, was kind of pretty much a designated slot at times last year, does he think he wants to get a payday? Then Jimmy Moreland, you can go because we can get other guys to literally do your job. We can draft somebody right now that can do your job. Um, I think I've seen everything. I think we've seen the peak of Jimmy Moreland. Unless the dude somehow, like, transforms his entire game, gets, you know, taller and stuff like that, and becomes just, you know, a bigger player, then I don't know how he's going to start, you know, survive as a, a starter anymore, man. I mean, he's a great story and things like that. But, I, like I said, unless he's willing to sign on to be, like, our fifth corner and, like, a, a true special teams guy, then I don't yeah, see him on the Unfortunately, I, I think I've come to the same conclusion that it was a great sto- training camp story. But if he is starting or getting significant playing time next season, it's probably not the best. It probably had a pretty bad – none of yeah. them. But, like, you didn't focus on secondary for or corners um, in the offseason or you didn't draft guys that you think are ready uh, to start right away. So that was that was one that it was tough to realize. Like, when looking back at it, it was like, ah, probably don't want Jimmy there. Obviously, it's pretty easy. We already knew Troy wasn't going to be there. Um We've talked about the situation with Landon and just seeing where we can where we can get him to fit, but corner has it feels like it's been a rotating cast of just guys that were like we haven't truly found anybody yet that we that sticks. We thought uh, Fuller was the guy, and then we traded him away, 
<laughs> um, to the Super Bowl champs, and then he comes back. So I feel like for the first time, we it feels like we do have somebody that's solid that we're like, okay, boom, we got it. Because you had guys in the secondary like DJ Swearinger where you're like, okay, this guy, he's a heavy hitter. He, he's a leader on the team, gets cut. Okay, we trade for HaHa. Okay, we're making a run. He was terrible uh, in D.C. And then now we finally have Fuller and Cam Curl, who both now are guys that you can be like, okay, we have a foundation now that we can build on. And if it's bringing back a Ronald Darby, if it's getting a Trey Boston, if it's what these guys that you want to go ahead and bring into the mix, so be it. I think that helps That helps a lot more. Um, with that, I, I think – I think that we've wrapped up what we what we think about the secondary uh, for the most part. Um, quickly, uh, we talked about it last week um, that would we trade for Mariota or just wait for him to be released. The report came out this week that Washington had called about uh, Mariota uh, and the talks did intensify, but then they cooled off. I think the cooling off is because they probably thought that Mariota um, would become a free agent and that is pretty interesting to to see if they stop talking to them because it's like, well, the Raiders are going to end up releasing uh, Marcus Mariota. But the question I have for you here, Chris Sims released uh, his quarterback rankings where he had Kellen Mond as the number four QB ahead of both Trey Lance and Justin Fields. With that being the case, obviously it looks like the first round of QBs for us is kind of out of the picture just because of Mac Jones hype and Trey Lance hype that they're shooting up the draft boards. Looking into that second round, I've seen Mon go as high as the second round and as low as like the sixth or seventh round. Are you comfortable? Yep. Because we both have been talking over the last week on how we are fine with Cal Trask being our day two guy. Would you be comfortable with taking Kellen Mond as a day two guy? Ah, man. Um, So, yes, and, like, <laughs> also no, because it, it's, so and it's really weird. Like, I mean, if you were to rank – if you were to rank – exactly. If you were to rank all the quarterbacks, literally it would be, like, Kyle Trask is only one spot mm-hmm. really ahead of Kellamon. Like, that's – and, like, Jamie Newman will be right after them. And after that, every other QB is a just, like, okay, what, what are we doing here? You know, but with Kellamon, man – Maybe like maybe like a fourth rounder <laughs> or uh, maybe a fifth, but I don't I don't I don't know why Chris Sims put him at top the top, top four three, like or wherever he put wherever he put him at dog I, yeah top four I don't know why he decided to do that um maybe he's you know falling in love with him with the process but I mean you didn't have to watch too many Texas A and M games he's just so see, like, awkward and like, he, I don't know. he could yeah it he his first of all just is like. His, he's just out there as a player. It just doesn't look natural. I mean, he's like one of those tall, skinny guys, but he also like fit kind of fast, but he's still not fast enough probably to survive as a starter in the league. Like if that's his game, because he's not really accurate, like that accurate. I mean, he can everybody, every quarterback is a you know minimally accurate. They can make throws, but he's not one of those guys. Like he's not even on the tra- Kyle Trask level of like accuracy and playmaking. So you get down to it, and it's like, well, what would we be getting Kellen Mond for? Because honestly, I would rather start Kyle Allen over Kellen Mond. So I mean, to answer your question, like, if it was a fifth round flyer, and it's truly a flyer, like, okay, maybe through trades or whatever, we just get another pick, and it's like, all right, cool, we can just do this just because, and if it doesn't work, he'll get cut or he'll get practice squatted. Um, 
But like as as high as round two, bro, <laughs> no, no, no. That's like Kyle, that's that's like Kyle Trask and Kyle Trask only. Um, so scenarios. you 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 would have both Kyle Trask and Jamie Newman before you would take Kellerman. Yeah, honestly, I, I pretty much would. Uh, I think Jamie Newman is a better prospect than Kellerman was. I can see why people would rank them the other way, maybe just because of like conferences or <laughs> records or whatever it is. But uh, I think Jamie Newman is way more talented than Kellerman, and uh, Kyle Trask is more Kyle, yeah. uh, talented. Yeah, personally, than for me, I, I'm, I I wouldn't spend the day two pick. I don't believe in Kellerman at all. And maybe hey, Chris Sims, he has been right on a couple of things that everybody thought was a complete yeah. joke, and then he ended up being right. But I would take not only Cal Trask and Jamie Newman, I would take Sam Ellinger ahead of Calamon too. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sam? Yeah. I, I just, deep, bro. <laughs> every time I watched Texas a last year, I wasn't impressed by him. I, like, I, I don't know what, what exactly it is. Like, maybe it's just his shoulder pads. Like, his shoulder pads were goofy. Like, it just, yeah, it's something, just bro. He looks goofy like a, out there. A starting quarterback in the NFL. So, I don't know. I saw that report and I was like, well, if that's the case, and obviously Chris Sims is doing just based on his personal rankings, we all know the consensus is going to be with the top five guys of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. That sixth guy was always considered Cal Trask, but to him, I mean, the sixth guy to him is uh, Trey Lance, but if it is ends up that Calamon being the sixth guy, would you want him in the second round? We're both in the same spot. As in, absolutely not. And there are a couple of guys, a couple of guys we would take, <laughs> we would take over him. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, we'll be back next week. We're moving on to the offensive side of the ball, the offensive line. My favorite part of the game to watch is I love breaking down um, offensive line film. So that should be uh, a fun one for us. But for Mike and for Micah, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.